Why, tis a happy thing to be the father unto many sons. William Shakespeare. I'm just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I Hello, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, joined by my co-host, Perry. Perry, welcome. Good to be here, Brett. Good. You had a good week? Fantastic, actually. It's been a stellar week. How about yourself? Yeah, it's been good. It's been a real good week. Kind of we're in the flow of school and, I don't know, just getting back into the rhythm of cross-country practices and, you know, business stuff. And so, anyway, it's been it's been a great week. And uh, I actually had a fun Friday night last Friday with Reggie, our guest today. Uh, so I want to introduce our special guest on this episode, Reggie Mosley. Reggie, welcome to the show. Um, welcome, uh, welcome, uh, Perry and Brett. It's, it's good to be here this morning. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's it's good to have you here. So Reggie and I were at a a man up conference, uh, <laughs> kind of a men's retreat, not really a retreat, I guess, just an evening at our collective church last Friday night. So uh, rode a mechanical bull. Perry, you ever been on a mechanical bull? What? No, I have not done that. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah, it was it was really cool. They brought in a guest guest speaker down from West Virginia, and that part was incredible. And uh, but then afterwards, they had brisket and they had axe throwing and they had this mechanical bull. And I've never I've never done anything like that. And so it was a little intimidating getting up on that thing. You know, they have the big uh, inflatable pads and stuff. And so you know, they started started me off nice and easy. And then once they decide to crank that thing up. You're not staying on that thing. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> You're coming off. So anyway, that was uh that was last Friday night. But anyway, it's been a, a good week. And I'm excited for for this conversation with Reggie. Reggie, uh, I really appreciate you being on. And I think I think everybody listening is really gonna be blessed by your story and just sort of your fatherhood experience and journey, a little bit of sort of backstory. Um Reggie and I met, oh, I guess earlier. Earlier this year, we were at just a, another serve event through the church, and uh, we were serving food to some homeless. And um, anyway, we just struck up a conversation, and we were talking about fatherhood. And he said a few things during that conversation that really just sort of made me start to think, man, I, I want to learn more. Reggie, I don't know your whole story. So, I mean, for the listeners, like, I'm going to be learning Reggie's story. At the same time, you're going to be hearing Reggie's story, and Perry's going to be learning Reggie's story. But he talked about how he really just sort of found fatherhood as a, like he was surprised by fatherhood and he was actually even a little bit resentful when he found out he was going to be a father and then just the transformation in his life and his outlook and his perspective on fatherhood and how he has stepped into the role as father and uh and so I thought just man that's that's really cool and that's I think that's just a lot of men's stories not feeling prepared for fatherhood and yet now it's time to step up and be a father. And what does that journey look like? And so I'm looking forward to hearing from you, Reggie. And uh, so we'll uh, we'll really turn it over to you and sort of let you share your story. I must say, though, first is just kind of a, <laughs> an icebreaker question for you. You are by far the best dressed man at church every single Sunday. <laughs> like, where does where does that come from? Everybody else just shows up in like a t-shirt and flip-flops and you you are dressed to the nines. What's What's the story behind that? Well, I, I don't consider that, but thank you for um, uh, the compliment. But, you know, it has a lot to do with where I was raised and the era in, in which I was raised. And I was raised in the 60s. 
Okay, so of course I may be just a few years older than you, <laughs> but uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, during the time where there were a lot of sit-ins and integration, uh, well, segregation and, and fighting and marching for integration. And so my parents were, and grandparents were very active in, in that uh, uh, arena, so to speak. And so, and there were lots of meetings uh, at the churches and at our homes. And we had a chance, I was young, but I had a chance to hear some of those discussions and, uh, and, and some of the planning behind that. And so the emphasis uh, when I was growing up was we had a little slogan, learn baby, learn so that you can earn baby earn. <laughs> I like and that. So, that was the little motto, and, and even on the radio stations, we had Black-owned radio stations, and so it was a lot of push, uh, particularly in the Black community, uh, to be somebody um, and to look the part, dress appropriately uh, for several reasons. And so um, that's where I got you know, that desire to dress. And so that's the way we went to church. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when we went to school, we were kind of dressy. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, growing up, but I, I don't know if it's a Southern thing, but we had a new outfit for every season, if you will, during the year. We had an Easter outfit. Uh, when Christmas came along, we had a Christmas outfit. Um, and we had an end of the school year outfit. And so it just was a lot of excitement. And so I dressed that way because that's what I'm used to doing. And in, inside of me, I feel like I'm giving my best to God when I present myself that way. Yeah, that's really cool. I bet that was fun as a kid to get that new outfit, right? I bet it was like oh, yeah. it was Christmas every time. It was like, what's your new outfit? It was a look for and uh, so, and that was just the thing to do. Um, and I remember going downtown with mom or grandma and, and, and we would buy different clothes and it wasn't always the name brand, but you had something new, Yeah, you know, just like all the other kids in the community. Yeah, that's really cool. So, all right. So you dress well. <laughs> and uh, how long have you been in Knoxville? Uh, it Exactly. I've been in Knoxville 42 years. That's including when I got here at 18, uh, went to school and met my wife and um, we married. We had a family. We raised them and, and I never did go back home. Yeah. How many kids do you have? I have two. I have a, a, a son and a daughter. Uh, my daughter, you may know, Jess. Um, as a matter of fact, she's saying... Uh, a song Sunday. And uh, so she's with the praise team. She's married to uh, a, a wonderful young man that we're proud of who has a heart for God. And uh, my son uh, is, uh, he works in Atlanta. Uh, and now he's back with us just for a little bit because he had uh, some job issues where they laid off or whatnot. So he had to rebound. So he's going to be with us just hopefully until December and then he'll be on his way again. 
Nice. Is the is the son older or the or the daughter? He is older. Yes. Okay. My son is thirty four, uh, and my daughter will be. She just turned um, thirty two a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, happy happy birthday, happy belated birthday. That's fun. So so you moved up here when you were eighteen. You got married. How long have you been married? Been married for thirty five years. My wife Woo! and I. Celebrated 35 years, 27th of June. And so we've been at it uh, a long time, and we're very thankful for where we are right now. Yeah. So doing the math then, you've been married 35 years. Your oldest is 34. So you had kids pretty quickly after you got married. Take us, just take me back to that time and let's transition and talk a little bit about, about your fatherhood journey. Did you, um, well, let me actually ask you this. what yeah before we even get to your own kids what do you remember about your own dad is he still alive and and like what are your fondest memories of your dad growing up my fondest memories of my dad was when he would come home from i would say from the war uh, because he fought in two wars and he was an officer uh in the service and um when he would come home, he would spend time uh, with us, particularly the boys, and he would teach us how to buff and shine our shoes. That was very impressive because my dad was always a neat dresser. He was sharp. Uh, where I get that from, you think I'm a sharp dresser. My, <laughs> my brother surpasses me in that area. I mean, he's just a sharp guy. Everything he puts on looks good on him. So I just remember my dad teaching us how to, I guess, properly buff a shoe. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that was, and to this very day, uh, 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 Brett, I don't put shoes on unless they are clean. Interesting. If I, if I wear white tennis shoes, they're going to be white. And if I wear any dress shoes, they're going to have a buff or a shine to them. I just believe in that. So that was in steel in me as a kid and my father taught me that that's my fondest memory of of my dad that's really cool that's a that's a cool thing and it's not a small thing um you know i think about the things that drive me craziest about my kids like my son hopefully he'll be listening to this episode at some point you know jackson take note you know he he'll he he goes out in these crocs with holes in them and they've got grass and hay hanging out of them and he's like but like it's my job to try to instill a a different perspective about like how to carry yourself in the world and that's it's not a small thing that your dad taught you that even things like making your bed making i'm always telling my kids do it with excellence don't just make your bed like do it with excellence right you want you want the comforter evenly on both sides and they don't they don't understand why when they're kids Right. But as they get older, it, it's a reflection of how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And so right. something about how you carry yourself and the shoes you wear and the fact that they're clean and and it, yes. it represents you when you're out in the world. So that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's a cool uh, That's a cool memory. And it's cool that he was present in your lives, that he spent time with you when he came home from the, from the wars and um, yeah, was there just with you and teaching you. Now, fast forward. Did you did you always think you wanted to be a father? Uh, 
Well, let me take you back just a little bit. Uh, so when dad was, uh, he, he spent his whole career in the service. He was a career soldier. And uh, so during those times when he had breaks or when it was uh, not war, so to speak, is when he would come home. But he seemed to always had to go, uh, uh, he had to always go back. And what happened, that was a lot of tension there. Um, because he wasn't home, um, I guess, more than we wanted him to be home during those tough times, you know, growing up as a teenager, as an adolescent, you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to fit in. So during those critical times, dad was not there. Hmm. Okay. Now he was there with us in spirit, but he was not there physically. And so we relied on community. You know, we had that community support where everyone was your parent during that particular time. I couldn't get by doing things that I thought I could sneakily do uh, because I always had somebody watching. Uh, and so, uh, and we relied on grandparent, my extended family a lot because mom had to work uh, and, and, and make money to help put food on the table. So my grandmother and my grandfather stepped up a little bit. And so when there are times when we had to go stay with them for the weekend because mom had other obligations, um, those were good times. Uh, and, and I remember spending that quality time with grandma. Grandma used to take us downtown. Uh, she really did a good job teaching us growing up to value the fine arts. Okay, we went to parades. We went to... Uh, lack of a better word, Broadway, when shows were downtown, we saw the performances. And then we had a chance to go to uh, some of the restaurants that were downtown during that time. And we knew how to eat. I mean, so those were things, values she instilled in us growing up as a kid. So we had those experiences. We were lacking our father. Because he was a soldier, he spent time there, um, and um, and eventually, uh, mom and dad separated because of that. You know, the times when he wasn't there. Uh, but I remember mom never bashing my dad, hmm. never talking against my father, never until the day she died. I, I, I'm so truthful with you as the nose on my face. And when we would uh, share our discontent, you know, after we'd grown up a little bit, how father wasn't there and he didn't do this, do, mom quickly corrected us because uh, mom told us her exact words were, we didn't see what was happening behind the scenes because we were so young and we were, you know, busy as kids, you know, being kids. But 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 father uh, supported us financially. We didn't lack in that area, uh, but he physically wasn't there. So when I grew up in high school and all those things, played sports, and when I saw other fathers there cheering and there with their kids, yeah, I felt a little resentful because daddy wasn't there. Uh, and so uh, I grew up, 
with that kind of resentment. But on the other hand, I had respect for dad because of the work he did and how he supported us financially uh, based on what my mom said. I, you know, I believe that. There's, there's a lot of aspects of this that I think are worth exploring, and I want to continue hearing your story. But I, I'm thinking about in today's environment, when a father isn't home for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like there's as much community around that child to help that child, to be there, to teach, to raise that child up, which leads to all sorts of issues, obviously, in terms of having no no rudder in their lives, nobody to instill values and so forth. What what do you think, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think there isn't community as much today to rally around kids who are without a father? Well, um, that's a tough question. Um, I think it's always been that way, um, Brett, honestly. Uh, but what was the saving grace at that particular time, uh, in my strongest opinion, is that we had the church. Yeah. Uh, we had that community that believed in the church and the power of the church. So let me take you back to the 60s during those days when I grew up. The church was very important. Um, when there were uh, uh, planning meetings, for the most part, the church was the central location for that. Okay? And people took pride in going to those meetings because, you know, it impacted your community. When you're talking about trying to get ahead in life, better jobs, better housing, better whatnot, those discussions were uh, centralized right there in the church. And so people went to church, you know, and there was a desire, you know, to, to do the things in the church and for an African-American man during that time, and probably even further than that, to experience what leadership was all about, it was the church. So when you think about uh, church, uh, the deacons in the church, the trustees in the church, uh, the pastors, and those were leadership positions. Those people who taught Sunday school classes, Wednesday night classes, that was your opportunity for leadership. And there was training in that. And so the church was very important. So we had that on our side. Fast forward, what you see now, it just seems like the church, and really it's us, it's the people, uh, doesn't have that kind of role anymore. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So now uh, people are left to their own, uh, you know, selves to 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 make things happen, and and so as a, as a result of that, a lot of people just lost interest in the church. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, were there other? Also, Go ahead, Perry. To piggyback on that, I also wonder if there is some element to kind of moving out of an analog world and into a digital world. Now, I completely agree with you, Reggie, in terms of the church not being, you know, what it used to be. And I'm a couple years younger than you, so I didn't get to experience that, you know, firsthand in the way that it was during that time. Uh, but part of me has to wonder, 
maybe there's some element of the digital world and the right now and everything is accessible, you know, on the internet, from a computer, at your house. And to me, it seems like that also has got to be some level of contributor to the lack of community happening in neighborhoods, in, you know, different places around because people in this, you know, the internet and the, and, and the digital world is wonderful. Here we are, you know, in different places, we're having this meeting and we're coming together and it's beautiful. But at the same time, it can also sometimes be counterproductive in terms of building actual community with your local neighborhood, with your local church, with your local, you know, other individuals. And I, part of me wonders if that the digital age is, is a contributor to the community not playing as strong of a role in raising each other's kids, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, absolutely. I agree with you um, to a certain extent, um, but I don't want to solely uh, blame that on the digital world. Me neither. Uh, you, you know, we're still parents. That's right. You know, uh, God put parents in uh, place for a reason. And, and, and I, I believe that, you know, <laughs> Uh, a two-parent uh, union is very important for raising children. Children don't know how to raise themselves. They can try, but they just don't know how to do that. And, and I think that's part of what we see now. And so whereas the church, I'm reminded of the scripture in the Bible that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, Right. And that's what people did. People went to church. It was a community. We share ideas. We shared a whole lot of things in the church. So now in that digital world, instead of assembling yourselves together, people are now more isolated. And for the parent, yes, it's less work they have to do. I don't necessarily have to be the parent now I can just put a device in the hands of my, my kids and that will entertain. That's right. Uh, and so I think, and that's where the digital world comes in. It's part of the problem, but I don't think it's solely the problem. The problem is with parenting. We're just choosing, we got away from it and we're relying on something else to take the role of, of parenting. And that's not going to happen. And even when there are other people present, let me ask you this question. So it sounds like you had community that rallied around you. You had a grandmother who it sounds like was incredibly influential in your life and your upbringing. I can relate to that because my wife, Melanie, uh, her grandmother was probably the most important child rearer in her life. And so love her grandmother, am indebted to her grandmother for the role that she played in Melanie's life. But there's an important and crucial role that a father plays. Yes. What do you think, looking back on it, you missed out on not having your father play certain roles in that upbringing that other members tried to step in and fill? But is there still a void that only a father can fill? And let me ask you this too. Were there any other men who you look back on as father figures who kind of stepped in and taught you certain things during that time as well? Uh, yes, there were. And uh, to your uh, formal question about fatherhood, and I think fathers are very important. Um, what was important 
probably uh, to me growing up was having that male figure in the home um, uh, to be that role model. As a young boy growing up, I needed to know what it's like growing up as a boy and, and to manhood. And that was a model that wasn't necessarily uh, exemplified for me growing up as a young man. I'm thankful uh, each and every day that we had other men in the community. And let's go back to the church. Uh, and I keep saying that because the church is important to me. It was important to my culture during that time growing up, uh, particularly in the 60s. That's when I was born. You saw leadership in the church. I saw men. I saw people that were older, but they were just like me. You know, they were males in these leadership roles. And so and I got a chance to take a glimpse at, wow, what it would be like when I grow up. So I, I really wasn't lost per se because we had other people in the community that helped to somewhat fill that gap in the absence of my own father. And I'm thankful for that each and every day. We had those role models. My father wasn't there uh, uh, to fill the gap, uh, but there were other people. All right, so let's fast forward back again then to now you find yourself married and you find out that you're about to have a son in this case. Yeah. What goes through your mind? Oh, well, I, I really, that was not my desire. You know, um, and when, you know, my wife and I were, engaged at that time and, and looking and talking about marriage, uh, children was far from that. And, and that, and I articulated that uh, as plain as I could. <laughs> it, it was like a selfish kind of thing, seriously. These are my goals. And, and I stated it in those terms. <laughs> these are my, really, these are my goals to work, uh, to work professionally uh, in the um, uh, in the major that I was studying at the time, and that was education, uh, to become a teacher. And, and, and Brett, believe it or not, I was serious about that. Yeah, I, I always knew I was going to be an educator, always knew, ever since I was a kid. So dreams like that were very important. So I set the goal for this is what I want to do. I want to work. I want to make money. <laughs> Little did I know I wasn't gonna make that much money, but <laughs> I, I wanted to make money and just live my life and be happy, travel, go places where I want to go. And um, but then when my wife became pregnant, it's when it was like a switch turned off. I became, I don't know, but almost instantly when we sat down and she told me. Uh, her good news, uh, it was really bad news to me. And I took it that way. I was hurt. Um, I was just disappointed. And all of a sudden, my behavior changed from who I was to this person that I, I, I didn't know. I was just a totally different person because um, I thought, you know, my dreams were shattered. Goals gone. 
what changed? How long did that period last? And how how did it impact your relationship with your wife? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, because you still got married. At that point, you were engaged. You still got married. Yeah. yeah. I still got married. And man, that's a good question. Um, but I was hateful. I was resentful. Um, I mean, I was I was really angry and I took my frustrations out on my then wife. I, I was I was mortified, honestly, because I thought all of the things I worked for in terms of going to school to become, now I cannot attain those things anymore. Um and uh and going back reminiscing what it was like as a teenager, as an adolescent, not having my father present was part of that issue. I didn't know in my spirit that I could be a father because I didn't see that model growing up as a young man. Uh, And failure to me just really wasn't an option, you know? Um, And so... I was just I was just angry because of the unknown. I didn't know how to be a father, number one, in my mind, and I didn't want to be a father. And so I took my frustrations out. I did things to hurt her, my wife. Um, uh, I mean, I, I made her cry almost on a daily basis. My words, I, I wasn't physical. But my words could cut, and I I was intentional about it hmm. because I felt like, well, the same pain I'm giving her, she gave me. Okay, and that went on uh, throughout the cycle. She carried my first child. I didn't relent. I'll give you one good example, and there were several examples, but I give you this one. We. Before all of this, when we were really dating and whatnot, we just loved to just go around the town, find places that serve good food. I mean, just good food. That's what we did. And we still do it now, Brett. But <laughs> what we did then, she enjoyed it and I enjoyed We would find a hole in the wall. I, you know, it didn't matter. But if they serve good food, man, we were there. And we were like regulars. And so when she was pregnant during that time, um, I, did, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to take her anywhere. And I told her that. And um, I would point my finger um, and probably had the face to go with it. I'm not taking you anywhere. Um, I don't want you around me. Um, and, um, and so she begged me one day. She said, Reggie, please. She said, please, let's go out. And, and I would respond angrily. Um, and then she she had morning sickness during that time with the first kid. She was just always sick growing up. And, and so I said, I'm not taking you anywhere and you throw up and you embarrass me. It was all about me. Uh, and so she begged me and assured me that it wouldn't happen. And so I, you know, I relented and I said, okay, we'll go. But my final uh, kind of... Uh, demand was you better not get sick yeah i told her that and so here we went we were in this place eating our regular place we always went and uh, your waiter knew exactly what 
our favorite meal was, you know, because we frequent that place all the time. And she brought the food and we started eating. Um, and uh, along the way, she made a gesture like she was getting sick. And I said, Barbara, I said, what's wrong? She said, it's nothing, you know. I said, yes, it is. I said, what's wrong with you? And we went about this. I don't know how many times I asked her and how many times she denied anything was wrong. So the final uh, uh, question, I said, yes, it is. Tell me what's wrong. She said, well, I think I'm about to throw up. And, and Brad, I kid you not, Perry, I took both of my fists and this was a Friday night in this establishment. Friday night, people got, had gotten off of work, had their families there. I mean, it was crowded in this place. I took my fist and I banged so hard on the table where we were. We were in a booth. Food went everywhere. And, and at that time, I was a big boy, you know, brawny. And I banged my fist, food flying everywhere, drinks all over the I, I put on a scene and uh, so my wife got up and she ran to the bathroom because I embarrassed her. She was pregnant and showing at the time. I didn't care. Um, and when she went to the bathroom, I took my keys. I left out the front door. I got in my car and I headed home. And I was on the freeway driving home. And um, so along the way, you know, my conscience was just beating me up. I said, Turn this car around. Go and get your wife. You know, um, and so that went on for a while. And then I, I you know, finally, relent. I got off the highway, turned around, and I went to my wife up and she was there waiting. But that is an example of how I was. And I, I was that way throughout the turn of her pregnancy. And I didn't turn that thing around until after he was born, right there in the delivery room, when I saw the pain, what all she went through to have this baby. And she had a cesarean section, which means if you never saw that, they raised that skin, the, the stomach, tissue and, and skin so high to reach down inside to get the baby. It was mind blowing. And they let you watch I, that you saw it? I was right there. Yeah. In the room. Um, and, and they grabbed my son out. They cleaned him. And of course he cried a little bit. I was done found. It was like I was, I had an out of body experience. I couldn't believe women go through that kind of thing. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I actually held my son in my arm, the doctor asked me first, he asked, he says, do you want to hold uh, the baby? And my response was no. <laughs> and, um, and the doctor looked at me kind of sure. He says, why? And I told him why. I said, well, I, I, I might drop the baby. I might hurt the baby. And so the nurses that were there showed me how to, position my arm and all of that. And the doctor gently laid the baby in my arm. But at that moment, my son and I connected. Our eyes, for some reason, my son didn't cry. 
he looked up at me, eyes just as bright and wide. And I'm looking at him thinking in my mind, Brett, did I make something as beautiful as this? You know, I was naive also. I didn't tell you my, my naivety, but I was naive as a kid. I didn't know anything about uh, sex or whatnot. And, and so all of this was new to me. And I'm like, I created this? And so when I, that was a, a spiritual moment for me. I honestly believe it. I said it then, and I'm saying it now, that something came over me. Yeah. I felt a spirit of some kind, I, and I could not explain it, but I knew I felt differently instantly. And when I left the hospital that night, I made up my mind that day that I needed to see uh, a counselor, a spiritual counselor, and I sought after that. And when I made contact uh, uh, with the person, and his name, uh, his name was Byron. I named my son after this spiritual counselor, uh, counselor because he was, that's what I needed at that moment in time. And he gave me good counsel. So you went through the counseling afterwards. What was your reconciliation process like with your wife then after that moment? So when, I, when the counselor and I met, I shared with him what I had been dealing with and that I had become a different person. You know, that was my mission. Um, I knew I was different. I knew that wasn't me. I, I've always been a nice, respectful young man. I treated women, you know, nicely, you know, professionally kind. But I was mean and hateful to the one that I mattered, the one who carried my child. I was ugly, hateful, like an animal. And I told the pastor, I didn't want to be that man anymore. Those were my exact words. Yeah. I didn't want to be that man anymore. And I told him, I wanted to be a good father to my son. Keep in mind, my father wasn't there with me during those critical times. I told him I wanted to be a good father to my son and a good husband to my wife. And I remember the, 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 the pastor at that time told me, he says, I really don't think, Reggie, you want to be a good father and a good husband. He says, I think you might mean you want to be a good Christian father. Hmm to your son, a Christian husband, um, to your wife. And he helped me to pursue that. He, he shared with me what that would look like uh, uh, moving forward, that I had to become a reader and I had to read books about how to become that person. Uh, I had to study it. To this day, Brett, I'm still on that journey. I'm reading books about how to be that kind of person yeah. because it's not over yet. You know, it's a lifelong process. And I've been on that journey all that journey, and I just, I wanted it. I craved it. And it's not like it just happened. No, not for me. I had to study this thing and read about it. And then 
I had to find a model for me. Keep in mind, my daddy didn't model that for me. Well, this is important. So what was the model? Because this is, so one of the things Perry and I have been doing on this podcast is going through a book called Fathered by God by John Eldridge. And and that's the exact idea is that ideally our earthly father would model fatherhood for us. Yes. But when that doesn't happen, how do we know how to be a father? And part of the answer, obviously, is looking to our Heavenly Father. But in your case, if you didn't have your father model that for you, you had the Spirit come over you. You had a switch of mindset. You want to be a better father, but you didn't know how. How do you learn that? So you said you read. What are some of the books? And what was the model you followed? Well, this was the model I followed. But let me take you back now to the Bible of where Jesus told his example, uh, told his disciples he says, I have, I have uh, been your example for you. Because when the disciples asked him, how do you do those things that Christ was asking them to do? His response was, I have been your example. So he was a physical example for his disciples. So the model that I was seeking and the advice that the, the, the pastor, uh, the spiritual uh, uh, counselor had given me was I had to uh, seek that. I had to look beyond in my community, in my, and that community could have been a church. It could have been anywhere, but in my community to find someone, you're talking about a person now, to find someone who could model that for you. And Brett, I want you to know, I found that someone. And it's an interesting story. It's almost like a love story, man. (laughs) Tell tell us. Well, uh, it all happened in this church. And uh, I sought out this guy. So as I was a church goer, you know, I wasn't active in the thing. Uh, I just went to church at 11 o'clock. And so, uh, of course, in the black church, when the preacher uh, finishes his sermon, he always what he calls or what they call opening the doors of the church. If you haven't heard that term, what that means is now is the time. If you feel convicted that you need to give your life to Christ, you had to surrender and come forward and give yourself to the church, okay? And so I remember seeing this person, he was one of the leaders of the church and he would always come up and stand and um, uh, to receive anyone who wanted to give their life to to Christ. Uh, And he was consistent. He did that every Sunday when the doors of the church were open. And then I got a chance to see his family, his wife, his children, he had five children, and they were beautiful kids, and they were smart. Um, I mean, intelligent kids, you know? And in my thinking, I'm like, gosh, how did he do that? You know, what, what's his secret? How did he raise his kids? Respectful. Every single one of them. He had five of them, and they were just stashed up in ages. And so how he treated his wife. And so when I saw a glimpse of that, just a glimpse at that moment in time, so I befriended him. 
you know, introduce myself to him and introduce my family to him. This is my wife, Barbara, uh, and my son at that particular time. And, and to the point where he invited me to his house. And then I had a chance to see him in that environment, yeah. how he would pull out the chair for his wife at the table, at the dinner table, how all of his kids, when he beckoned them to come to the table to eat, they all came to the table and they ate and they set the table, you know, plates and, and forks and whatnot. And uh, man, I was eating that up. And I said in my spirit, I want some of that. Yeah. How he talked to his family, how before anyone ate dinner, he prayed and blessed the food. He was consistent. And so I studied him for years, Brett. I, we became friends. He had no idea that he was modeling how to be a man, a Christian man for me. He had no idea. He was just being. He was just. He was just being who he, was who just he being. is. And, uh, so to this day, we still have a relationship, but now, you know, our families are growing. And so we're a little distance, but we still call each other. That's cool. But it wasn't until about, now this was, my son was born in 87. So it was during that time forward that he was modeling this thing for me up to a point where my kid was old enough now uh, to know better. and. Uh, so it wasn't until 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, I was at home watching a football game and I was at home by myself. Wife was at the mall somewhere. And I, I just, I had a moment where I was reminiscing, thinking over my life. My kids at that time were already in college. And I was moved to tears because I was thinking about where I was then what this man helped to do in my life. And I never took the time to say, man, thank you. I really appreciate what you did for me. I called him up, my, you know, my mind told me to give him a call, let him know that. I called him up and told him everything from the first time we met and what he did for me, modeling how to raise a Christian family how to be a Christian husband or father. I told him all of it. And I said, you know, my desire at that time was to want to be that way, want that. And I tell you, he was moved to tears. And, and I mean, I just heard him over the phone weeping, you know, uh, but that's how important he and his family was to me. And I talk about him right now. You, you ask my kids, they'll tell you about it because that's what I needed. And what's really cool is that God knew you needed it, and God put that man in your life at the time you needed it. Amen. He sure did. Yeah. He he sure did. But here's the other thing. You know, when we think about wanting that transformation, wanting to be different and to better ourselves so that God would be pleasing for us, I honestly believe miracles do happen. You know, it's just miracles do happen. But I think for the most part, we have to seek it. You know, the Bible says, when you seek him, he said, you shall find me. That's right. 
but but they, if there's no seeking, I, I it may happen, but I think the process is just uh, it takes too long to get to where you need to be. And so the fact that I saw after that, I took the initiative because I knew I didn't want to be that person anymore. I'm tired. Uh, and, and I think you hear that rhetorical uh, statement from a lot of people when they, you know, you may have been an alcoholic for the vast majority of your life, but at some point something comes over you when you make your mind up that I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm just sick and I'm tired. And I think then will we'll, we see the transformation, but you got to seek after it. Yeah, there was a positioning of your heart, and then things aligned with that positioning of your heart. Uh, as we as we sort of wrap this up, I have I have kind of two final questions. And Perry, feel free to ask anything that you have. Uh, I want to talk about the selfishness piece a little bit because obviously. It's been a heck of a journey that you've been on. Uh, there was that transformation when you saw your son born. And to that point, your your concern with becoming a father was that it was stealing some of your selfish ambitions. How do you release that? How do you let go of that in fatherhood? Because I think that is a uh, definitely a common theme. I resonate with that, right? One of the hardest things about fatherhood is realizing that we have to put others before ourselves. Yeah. Uh, talk to us a little bit maybe about that part of the healing in you and and what was your journey to release some of the selfishness and maybe readjust or recalibrate some of your own dreams? You know, what were you able to live out your dream of being an educator? Like, what was your life like from that standpoint after your son was born? I think that once I got to a point where I didn't want to be that person anymore, that really nothing else mattered to me other than to be better, to be a better Christian father, to be better, uh, a better Christian uh, husband. And that was what I pursued moving forward. Uh, it didn't matter. I, what I was good at, um, one of my goals was uh, to travel, uh, let's say, the Southern, uh, excuse me, the Southeastern Conference. I was pretty good at officiating um, sports, um, basketball. I was good at it, had aspirations to go further and do that. But it was at that time, you know, my wife was pregnant and all the bad. So I had to abort that. That was one of my, my goals. I wanted to do that. But once I, you know, my inside was correct, I fixed that inside, you know, by replacing that with, with God's word and God's desire. All that other stuff really didn't matter. So, so I stopped pursuing those other things. And, and what became uh, more important to me was to be uh, that kind of father and that kind of husband to my family. And I've just been doing that ever since. So when I got to a point where I was at peace, you know what I mean? Uh, it's like the Bible sometimes, uh, uh, not sometimes, but it encourages us that we have to rest in God's peace. 
You know, what does that peace really uh, look like? Well, it looks like you're worry-free. I, I can't worry about something that's really out of my control. And I rest with that, you know? Uh, right now, I'm in a good place. I, I still live out my dream to become an educator. And I did exactly that. Everything I wanted to be in the field of education from being uh, a teacher and then uh, moving from a teacher to an administrator and retiring at the top of my scale. So I did great things as a leader. You know what I mean? And so I have no regrets. And I'm still working part-time in the same field I retired from. Um, on a part-time basis. So I'm just really living the dream. Yeah, you are. You know, yeah. so. And you, and you have a good relationship good. with your kids and uh, yeah, you're in a good place. Great, great relationship with my wife. And so I'm just blessed. I really do feel blessed. And you know, and my feeling blessed might be different from somebody else's feeling blessed. And, and give you a, a quick example. I remember, watching a television uh, show and the guy was explaining about rich. What does rich really mean? Says one man, rich might mean having $500,000. Another man, depending on, you know, his uh, portfolio or what he has to do may require $5 million. So, I, you know, I'm just blessed where I am at this moment in time. Takes some maturity to get to that point. So easy just to compare, but yes, when you just compare yourself to yourself and what right. your relationship with God is, and you're content with what you have, that's right, man. That's encouraging. Yes, sir. that's awesome. Well, as we sort of wrap this up, any parting thoughts or maybe wisdom or advice you would want to share to other men listening to this podcast who may find themselves in a situation where they are needing to choose to step up into the role of father. Maybe they are unexpectedly a father. Maybe they're not ready to be a father. Maybe they're still holding on to some of the selfishness of their single life, and now it's time to be a father. Uh, obviously, your story alone, I think, in talking about that inward shift and the desire of your heart, uh, I think is probably the answer. I think that's incredibly encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. But any, uh, just any final thoughts or advice for other men who may be walking a similar path to what you walked? Absolutely. I think my best advice would be, you know, God is speaking to us every day. Um, and, and a lot of times we're so busy doing our thing that we don't always hear his voice clearly. Um, the Bible says that uh, we see through a glass darkly, which means that we can't see clearly what our future looks like. However, you see it darkly, but one day we'll see him face to face. But but I believe that um, that a lot of times we just we are afraid. We are afraid to launch into the deep because of whatever reason. Because of my reason, I was selfish. I wanted to live out my dream. That's why I was afraid to uh, uh, launch into the deep. And, and I would say, surrender your all to God and, and just do it. You know, yeah, you might have some apprehensions, some fears, but do it afraid. You know, I mean, God is with you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
and I trust him and he he answered and he delivered me. That's my story. Just trust him, just do it and God and let God do what only he can do. He can deliver us from whatever our woes are. And my woes were I was selfish. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to live my dream for myself. But God had a different plan. But yet, his plan didn't disappoint me. I'm living my best life right now. Yeah. Reggie, that's fantastic. I just want to honor you and thank you for sharing your heart with us today on the podcast. I mean, you were real vulnerable. You shared some of your failures. You shared some of the dark side of your past. And, you know, that takes courage to share those kind of things. And we are just forever honored and, and grateful that you would, that you would bring your full self, you know, to the show today and share some of those things uh, that I'm sure, you know, are hard to think about and, and hard to talk about, you know. Um, but you stepped out and courage to share that. And then to be able to share this beautiful redemption story of how yes. God... God took what you wanted to hold on to as selfishness for you. Yeah. In this moment of the spirit coming over you and a desire for a changed heart and a desire to say, I don't want to be this broken version of Reggie. I want to be the complete, the holy version, the God's plan version. And to lean into that and to share that with us is such a beautiful story. And, um, we are truly honored and grateful to to be in your presence and and learn from your wisdom and your experience and uh, and your faithfulness. And so, man, brother, thank you so much. We've it's been a joy to have you, and uh, we just want to honor you and and thank you for sharing all those things with us. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. And I I think I shared with you, Brett, um, the last time we were together that uh, it's important for us to share our testimony. You know, like in Revelations 12 and verse 11 talks about how we overcome and conquer the devil, you know, uh, by the words of our testimony. So I hope what I said today uh, would deliver some from and, and would open their hearts to give themselves to Christ. Amen. Well, thank you again, Reggie, for all of the listeners. I pray that you be blessed. Uh, go ahead, if you haven't already, click that subscribe button so you're alerted whenever we drop a new episode of the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. For now, we will sign off and we will talk with you again on the next episode of the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye.